Established is the, the word that God has given our church for this year. And if you haven't been here, the, whole, the last four weeks have been all about this one word. I have had so many conversations with so many of you in the lobby where you've said, man, this series has meant so much to me. Um, every single sermon has hit home in a different way. And basically what we mean to get specific when we say establish is to get established in your faith, the kind of faith that says, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere regardless of the weather, regardless of the temperature of the world. My faith is rooted. Um, it's the real deal. And that happens by incorporating four kingdom concepts into your life on repeat. And those are experience God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. And sometimes it can feel like we end that series and okay, we went through it almost like it was a track and I got to the end of it, what do I do now? Well, what you do now is you do what Brian McKnight would tell all of us to do. If ever you believe your work is done, then, then you, you start it. back at one. Of all the guys in this room. Emily, how was it? How was it? It's seven yeah. for me. <laughs> For Ryan. <laughs> for Ryan. For Ryan. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. That, that was better than when you tried this morning. <laughs> the nine o'clock nice was rough. My goodness. Thank you for being here, everybody. Years can feel like marathons and January can feel like the first leg where the starting line and there's people cheering you on and there's a lot of adrenaline. But what do you do when you round the first curve and you can't see the starting line anymore? I have a whole marathon to run, so what do I do? Well, you stay in this loop of incorporating these four kingdom concepts into your life. And I promise you, if you just got caught up in the good motions this year, those good motions, sometimes going through the motions gets a bad rap. That's only if the motions are bad. But if you get caught in a loop of the good motions, then I'm telling you, this could be your best year if you continue to establish it in the best way. So what we thought we would do is have a conversation about these four kingdom concepts and get real and raw with you guys about the enemies that um, we experience in our lives when it comes to these four things. Uh, you say all the time also, you love authenticity, you love vulnerability, and so today we thought we would just straight up celebrate the fact that your pastors don't wear capes in church and talk to you about, here's, here's what keeps me from experiencing God and discovering purpose, and um, I think when you, can, when you can sort of put language to it, it makes it a lot more doable to, to overcome these enemies so you can continue to incorporate these things in your life. Sound good? Okay. So number one, experiencing God, and I'll go first, but when it comes to experiencing God, I feel like the number one enemy for me is shame, um, and I'm, I don't think I'm alone in that. And for me, I sometimes do feel like it because sometimes I go, well, I'm a pastor, and I need to have more things figured out than your average Christian. I need to be farther along, and if these people only knew some of the stuff that I struggled with, What's crazy is the more I open up, the more feedback I get and realize, oh, actually, everybody wants to know the stuff, your stuff. Because it turns out we're all knuckleheads, and we're all in this together, and we all got our struggles. We're all in the same boat. And shame oftentimes is the number one thing that isolates you, not only from the people around you, but also from God. So I'll be really bold and say it this way, but your sin does not keep God from you. Jesus made sure of that. But oftentimes our shame keeps us from him, the very God that we actually need. And sometimes, um, actually, you know what, I'll say it this way. The litmus test, I believe, for how much you struggle with shame and how much you actually understand the gospel and how good it is, is what do you do 
in the immediate aftermath of screwing up. Only this time you know better. And a hundred times you've promised never again, and yet here you find yourself again. So in that moment, do you sprint to the throne of grace with confidence back to God? Or do you sort of punish yourself and withdraw and I'll isolate myself a little bit because surely he's mad at me and shame is what keeps us away from, from God. So I'm telling you, if you do that, that's a shame issue. And it shows I don't fully understand just how good this grace is. Like I still think I'm shocking him with my ability to be messed up. I'm here to tell you, God knew what he purchased when he sent Jesus to the cross 2,000 years ago. Like he, he knows your stuff more than you know your stuff about you. And he, he still did that and would do it again if it were just for you. And your sin no longer keeps him from you, but your shame keeps you from him. And our counselor, his name's Gary, he's 75, and he told me this a couple years ago. He said uh, that he outsmarted shame he outsmarted shame about a decade ago in his life, and he told me, man, if you can do that now and not when you're 70, because this is a lie from the pit of hell, and I'd rather you live your life without that lie, because shame is what's keeping you from God. You need to outsmart it. That's so good, man. And then on the other side of that, for me, one of the big enemies of experiencing God has been self-righteousness, you know? Like self-righteousness is, is when you start to think that your own good behavior can earn righteousness for yourself. So you string together a couple of good days and all of a sudden you start thinking like, I think I got this whole thing like figured out. You know, I, I think I'm on it. And, and for me, historically, it's always been a, a part of my journey, kind of a identity problem for me. Uh, these guys can, can tell you in high school, I was like, I was just a good enough athlete to be like a good high school athlete, but had no shot of ever being a good college athlete. There's a gap. There's a big gap yep. there, and I was not gonna make it. Which means in high school, like, everyone was like, oh, Ryan, that's like the sports guy. But then I get to college, and, and I don't have that anymore. And right around that time, we all start following Jesus, which is a, a whole another story for another day. Um, and it was, it was amazing, but the way that it kind of got twisted for me is I started to realize, oh, I can be like the super spiritual guy, you know? Like, I can get uh, attention for how close I am to God, for how good I'm, I'm doing following God, for how passionate my prayers are, right? We were laughing on Friday. Uh, we were roommates in college and had this ridiculous house, but the, the, the front porch was amazing, and that's where we would go to have our quiet times, which is a very Christian way of saying praying and reading your Bible. And um, never quite figured out a, a better name for that. Um, but I, I remember like five or six different times I would be out there and I'd finish like my prayer and my reading and I'd be ready to like go on with my day. And then I would think, this is dark. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna be real in church for a second. I would think, oh, like Doug and Ethan, they're gonna get out of class soon. Which means, like, they're going to be coming back, and I would love for, like, them to, to, to come back here and just stumble upon me, like, praying for them. You know what I mean? Am I alone in this? Is this, is this like, just a rhyme Probably thing? alone that's, in that. That's yeah. probably fine. But, like, what is that, right? It's so, it's so silly. It, it's, it's me trying to portray an image that I am more righteous than I actually 
am, and it, it took me, me years, um, and I found a lot, of, a lot of freedom and victory in this, but it's taken me years to realize that Jesus is going, no, hey, you too. Like, you get a seat at the table, too. We want you at the party as, as well. I preached about Matthew 9 last week, and I, I told you guys um, uh, Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector, then he sits down and has a meal, and the, the, the Pharisees, who are like the self-righteous ones in Scripture, they, they come up to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, what are you doing sitting with Matthew, you know? And Jesus has this beautiful line where he goes, well, I haven't come to call the righteous. I've come to call the sinners. And for years... I read that and was like, yeah, Pharisees, like, this is Matthew's party. Get out of here. Not realizing that I, was, I had the same exact spirit as the Pharisees, right? Because the quickest way to become a Pharisee is to hate a Pharisee. And I remember where I was when I was reading Matthew 9, and I realized Jesus is going, hey, Pharisee, I want you to take a seat at this table, too. Right? There's, there's space here for anybody who's willing to be an imperfect person just pursuing a perfect God, and I'm telling you the amount of freedom on the other side of that. Self-righteousness is like running on a treadmill and trying to get somewhere. It's very exhausting, and you don't make any progress. But there's a seat at the table for you and a seat at the table for, for all of us, and so we, we war on that self-righteousness by going, oh, I'm just another broken person, but I'm, I'm welcome here exactly how I am. I can validate that. Just another <laughs> broken person. And then 100%. you surround yourself with two guys yes. who just let you know all the time how broken you are. So shame, self-righteousness, you guys are so messed up. <laughs> Did you guys extend a hand? Let's pray for these two. Uh, fix us, Ethan. Heal fix them. That, I'm surprised you God. heard anything because you're probably just experiencing God the whole time That's we're talking because you just do that. No you blockades just, for me. kind of glory all the time Over, over there. Season. Doesn't it make you feel better, though, just hearing how messed up these guys are? Gosh. I'd say uh, another, people that are new are like, geez, what is wrong with these guys? Um, another obstacle that holds us back from experiencing God is busyness. Uh, I think we all feel that in life, and I think there's two realities within busyness. One, being busy. It can be real. Work, school, family, all the things that you pile on, that you just might be busy. Uh, but I'd also say that for more of us, I think rather than actually being really busy, we just feel busy. We feel busy all the time. That's like the air we breathe. You ask somebody, how are you doing? I'm busy, and then that kind of indicates like, I'm a valid human. I'm busy right now, I have too many things on my plate, I can't keep up, I'm exhausted, which means I'm living correctly, but that's not true. But that's kind of this badge of honor we carry, and I think because we have a culture that will tell you to work till you, know, you die, like never stop working and never rest, rest is for the weak, all those kinds of things, it gets ingrained in us to just feel like I need to be busy, so even if I have free time, I gotta fill it with something. I can never let myself rest, I can never let myself have the quote unquote quiet time and go spend time with God because there's always something that I need to do because I feel busy. But I would say, and I would challenge all of us, I don't know if we're actually all so busy or if we're just really bad at time management. Because if you look at the 168 hours in your week and you actually start breaking out what you spend those on, you're gonna be like, oh, I'm not the busiest person in the world, turns out. I just don't manage my time well. My time controls my life, I don't control my time. And so I would challenge you with that, and I've seen that in my life and trying to work on this of saying, hey, if I'm in control of my time and I don't just try to be busy because that's what everyone's doing, then I actually can say, I've got a meeting with God this morning before anything else. That's on my calendar. I'm gonna meet with him. I'm gonna spend time with him. I'm gonna experience him because the offer isn't just here on Sundays for an hour. It's every single day you have the chance to experience God. But that feeling of busyness prevents us from that all the time.
Yeah, and when we live, I think, in a culture that kind of glorifies the road to burnout, and that's revealed when you treat rest as a reward rather than part of a rhythm of your life and see something even as like a vacation or taking an hour to sit down and read a book or read the Bible as um, that's a reward. If I get to that, um, then great. And uh, Dave Ramsey says debt is weird or debt is normal. He says, be weird. Debt is normal, be weird. I would say this, um, for Christians, being exhausted and burning out is normal. Be weird, you guys. Put this stuff into a rhythm and a routine in your life and start seeing it. Because experiencing God, I mean, this is, this is where everything begins. We say start back at one, like Brian McKnight would say. Like you don't, this is what powers the rest of the loop that we are talking about today. Without experiencing God, it's like I've got, I've got nothing. Are you taking time to do that every single day? So busyness, that's awesome. Um, and then self-righteousness <laughs> and then shame. Please don't define us by these things. Just being honest, you can see okay? The stare that Doug just gave me as he said self <laughs> 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 oh, Judging us as wow. we're talking about being busy and shameful. Trying to be authentic. Okay. Keep Number move, two. Keep moving. Yeah. Number two, find family. Um, I would say, and this, I've, I've noticed this a bit in my life. It's also just a, from being a pastor for 10 years, just an observation that I, I think just the biggest enemy for everybody when it comes to finding family right now is perfection. Because social media has, seem, has made perfect seem possible and real has become undesirable. And we think about this in terms of friend groups and churches and relationships and marriages. And there is something actually called, it's the grass is greener syndrome. And there's something called the 80-20 rule that I think is so true where nobody is perfect, no group is perfect, no church is perfect, but you can be a really good 80 out of 100, okay? Um, but you, like let's just take marriage as an example. People leave marriages all the time to go and find the 20 their spouse didn't have somewhere else only to find out 20 is all this was and I left a really good 80 to go find this 20. And, I, and we do that with churches also because no church is perfect. We do that, what's the next new city? Because cities offer something, like Austin has such a um, appealing invitation until you move here and then you find out, oh, okay, it's, it's not the 100 that was on the brochure. It's still great, but now I'm here. Or, or groups, you know, maybe you had a bad group experience or, or whatever it is. And so it's, it's the grass is greener syndrome. And I will tell you, the grass is not greenest in the next city or the next church or the next group or the next marriage or over the next mountain. The grass is greenest where you water it. And perfectionism or expecting perfection, I mean, because first of all, where's the self-awareness? Because that, like, that means I think I'm a hundred who's out here looking for other hundreds and 100% church to join, and 100% group to join. Like we have to, like that awareness of, no, I'm gonna try to be like a good 80, knowing I'm a, a broken person and, and so is other people. And so I'm gonna look for that relationship or that group or that city or that church of other imperfect people and let's come together and let's build and cultivate something special perfectionism will keep that keep you from doing that or ever experiencing it and i'm i'm uh, it's my fear for my generation is you will go from city to city every 3 years for the rest of your life 
and never fully experience what it feels like to put roots and remain and the beauty and blessing that can follow that. Um, let's talk about isolation for a second. I got to give a shout out. I'm a huge introvert. Anybody else a, an introvert? Where are my introverts at? It's always a funny question. Just a silent like, response. Please don't. Yeah, Please right don't here. ask me to raise my hand. <laughs> ask where the extroverts are and chairs start flying. Oh! <laughs> yeah. Um, Huge introvert. Uh, solitude is my favorite spiritual discipline. You know? Like, I, fantastic I hear at sermons it. about it, and I'm like, Preaching yeah, from guy, strength right here. Come on. <laughs> this guy's speaking my language. Solitude, let's go. Um, solitude's an amazing thing. Introverts, we can't let our solitude turn into isolation. And Ethan preached on this a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but even, so, like, Thursday, snow happened. I had to stay home all day. You guys, it was my favorite day of the week. <laughs> I got it's my so least much favorite done. day of the entire week. <laughs> I got so much done all day. I rested well. I, I had my quiet time, and I didn't even have anyone around to see if I was having a quiet time. It was a callback. Um, and they're tracking. Yeah, they're it's a tracking. Bright group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep going. By the end of the day. By the end of the day, I felt amazing. I didn't have these two interrupting me. He missed with us. Inside jokes all day he missed long. us all day. Um, and I, I got to the end of it, and I, I, it was a cool reminder of how much I love solitude, but also a good reminder for myself that I don't get to do this every day, right? That I still have to have like-minded people that I'm surrounded with, that I still have to have family, that I still have to have a community of people that I'm following Jesus. Because we get to follow Jesus, like we get to just make that decision for ourselves, but we don't do it by ourselves. Um, and so to the, the introverts, a special challenge for you to go sign up for a group today. I know it's scary. It's so, so difficult. This might seem opposite of what you're saying, but um, I think a lot of times what can hold us back from truly finding family, like we're talking family, like I'm in this with you, I'm pushing you towards Jesus, like this is, we're doing this together can be the people that are in our life right now. Um, and, and here's one of the biggest mistakes I think people make is they find Jesus, they're following Jesus, and they just cut out every single person in their life that's not a Christian. I think it's a huge mistake because how are those people gonna come to know Jesus, right? However, you can also make the mistake of starting to pursue Jesus but letting the same people have all the real estate in your life still. And all of their opinions and their direction is where you're still flowing while you're trying to follow Jesus. And you have to draw some lines and you have to decide who's got the real estate in my life. Who am I listening to? Who's guiding me? It's a direction issue um, that we all face. But the, the hope is that as you go on your path and you're following Jesus, then you end up able to share that with those people because you're strong enough, right, at that point, instead of letting your life continue to go in the same direction. And I see this a lot in uh, romantic relationships, that it seems like there's almost this Stockholm syndrome with unhealthy relationships. Like, I wanna pursue Jesus, I want a relationship centered on faith. However, I've gotten so comfortable with unhealthy relationships. I've gotten so comfortable with just doing things the way the world says to do them and settling for less. And that great person who's following Jesus too, I know that I should ask them out, or I know I should maybe pursue that person or give them a chance, but I'm scared because that's gonna call more out of me. I'm gonna have to live differently. I'm gonna have to step up to the plate in some ways. And so you stay in the same cycle and the same kind of relationships and the same kind of things without taking that leap and continue going in the opposite direction of where you truly wanna go, uh, which is hard. But the, 
The beauty is when you can actually take that step and start to be that person that you find that family that's coming alongside you as you watch some of those other people come along and join in your journey. Um, but that is a caution that I see all the time. I love that. I love the direction. The metaphor that always sticks in my mind is trying to go on a road trip. And if you're trying to get to a different destination than the people you're driving with, that's why you're frustrated is because you're in the same car trying to go to two different places. And I, uh, the very first thing that happened to me as far as obedience goes, when I started following Jesus back in 2008, I was, um, I was dating this girl for about two years, and I just knew um, God was asking me to end that relationship, and it had nothing to do with character or the fact that I was now better than her because I was a Christian. Uh, people say, all the, oh, you think you're better? I'm like, no, I, I know I'm not. That's why, that's why I'm a Christian, because I know how badly I need Jesus. Um, and so it's not a character thing. It was simply just my destination changed and she didn't want to go that way. And I was like, why are we so frustrated? It's because, well, I'm trying to go to the Pacific Ocean for a vacation. You want to go to the Atlantic Ocean for the vacation. And we just can't drive in the same car anymore. And so I, I just feel like there's people in here and you just know, I think you've known for a while this isn't working. And maybe that language of direction um, actually makes it super clear. Oh, I want to find a group. I want to find a person that I can do this road trip called life with where we are going towards the same thing. We want the same thing in this life. And so maybe I, I, if I caused a few breakups, I'm sorry, email me. We'll go through, we'll have meetings in my office and we'll talk through all of it. Whoever what, gets broken up with can have free merch. Exactly. It's on us. Hey, and you know, you know what preaches really well? You know what preaches really, really well is when, and I've been doing this for a while now, like when you say stuff like, hey, sometimes God brought that person out of your life because they're holding you back and he has taken you to the next level and you get amen all day for that. What doesn't preach as well is when you say, God actually might've brought you out of their life because you're holding them back and he's trying to take them to the next level. And so direction thing, you guys, internally kind of looking at my heart and my soul, but also just uh, like to full circle back to the, uh, expecting perfection, I also like what you said about, hey, maybe, maybe there's some dates that are gonna happen in the lobby after this as well because I'm gonna stop waiting for perfect and find somebody I, I enjoy that I can build something with and give them, give them a shot. And so... Our wives settled oh, for about 100%. 30 or 40. Oh, 100%. Generous, that's generous. Yeah. We're in the same car. <laughs> that's generous. Going to the same destination. Doors are locked. Bummer for them. Yeah. <laughs> We're having a good Jokes time. Jokes on them. We're yeah. having fun. That's I was, the I playlist said, is great. <laughs> I was a groomsman at both weddings, and what I heard them audibly say is no take backs. As soon as they said, I do. It was awesome. Guys, this is ridiculous. We have to keep going. Hey, <laughs> by, by the way. Okay. I'm Ethan? not texting. I'm trying to find something to read to you. <laughs> Doug just is texting over here. I look over, and Ethan literally has his notes written on his hand. <laughs> for this sermon. And he, is anybody a teacher in here? It's like the thing that you look out for and the kids are like writing their notes. That's Ethan. I just unscripted. I could say anything. Which I know. It's a good thing. Could Run. blow this church yeah. up in one statement <laughs> yeah. accidentally. So That's probably good. good I just have a few key things here. Oh, man. We're qualified. Me this is track. good. This is good. <laughs> Being public speakers in 2022, man, there's about 1,500 landmines you can step on hold at any given moment. Hold yourself accountable. You know, you got to hold yourself you accountable. You have to. Okay. 
to think more about Thank what you, not to say. Thanks yeah. for sharing that too. All right, guys, this is ridiculous. Discover purpose, guys. Can't wait till I find family someday. <laughs> guys, discover purpose is the third kingdom concept. Somebody has to be the adult Aww. here. Um, kidding. Um, okay, I think for discover purpose that it's comparison. And I said this two weeks ago, it was the only thing not in my notes that I just said, and it was the one thing everybody remembered. And it's comparison kills calling. And so you have a calling on your life, and you are uniquely wired and strategically made for such a time as this. God knew the talents he gave you. He knew that you'd be alive in the decades you're alive, and he knew you'd be in Austin right now. And how crazy cool is it is that? that you have a God who with great forethought thought you up and that is so amazing until you compare it to somebody else's. Then all of a sudden it's, um, man, comparison kills calling. It's like, I, I'll joke, like when it's like Katy Perry and Taylor Swift. When one's in the room and somebody, wa- when the other walks in, the other has to walk out. You know what I mean? That's when, when comparison, that. you what? I didn't know that. Well, they might've made up recently, I don't know. Example, but, but there was this huge. <laughs> It was this huge rivalry. When comparison walks right? in, calling walks out, Which you team guys. are you on? What? What yeah, team would you be on if they were on? I am on, on Katy Perry's thing. team. <laughs> Katy Perry's team? Because she sings the greatest song ever written, Wide Awake. It's just not a and contest. And Taylor Swift is just mad at every guy. Every, everybody. But she's, she's never dated, but not going to see herself as part of the But she seems song. awesome, though. She's awesome. We love yeah, Taylor Swift. We do. Girl, homegirl can write a song. I'll say that. Discover purpose. 90% of the Number time three. I have I have it written here. songs in my head. Get through this. Let's follow my script. You guys got to stay focused, all right? Come on. You guys are distracting us. <laughs> Easily distracted. Maybe just keep going. Okay. Don't even worry about the Katy Perry thing. Just keep going somewhere else. All right. I said comparison kills calling. Okay, a quick word because I just think in 2022, social media does that faster than anything else. And I actually am the guy who loves social media. I think it has so much power to make a huge difference and create opportunities. There's people in our church who are using social media to make a huge difference, and I've seen it. And it's freaking awesome, okay? But I will also just be honest and say in 2022, it's the number one thing that we use for comparison that kills callings faster than just about anything else. And so I wanted to read this definition of Instagram to you. A visually stimulating social media platform intentionally created for every second of everyday reminders that your body is out of shape, your kids aren't dressed as trendy as your neighbor's kids, your life is boring compared to every travel blogger and 20-year-old life coach, your kitchen (laughs) is shamefully outdated, your home is decorated like crap, your artless posts have uninspired captions, you did a terrible job planning your wedding, and you lead a mundane and humdrum life unlike everybody else you follow who, unlike you, have incredible callings, but yours is lame. And it's just, I mean, it's like, it's funny because it's like painfully true in so many ways. And, and so maybe I'm talking to somebody, you need a social media hiatus. I will say you probably will find that you don't miss it. And here's the here's truth that's sometimes hard to hear. Social media won't miss you because it can't. But there are people in your life and there's a God who adores you who would love for you to be the fully present version of you, owning who you are, loving being who he made you to be, running in your lane. I mean, our church needs you. There's only one of you that God made, and we need you. Your group needs you. Your family needs you. Your friends need you to own it with confidence. This is who God made me. I'm not looking to the left or the right. I got my eyes fixed on Jesus, and I am running the race he marked out for me because you are a miracle and the 
lane and race that you have to run is incredible. And I want you to see that. And I don't want comparison to rob that from you. Yeah. Insecurity can also rob you from, from discovering your, your purpose. I know so much about that. I, th- I think to double back to that self-righteous mindset, the problem with self-righteousness is when you're doing really good, it leads to pride. And then on your bad day, you just feel like this was all on me and I, I fell short, right? And so then the, those lies start to work their way in where you go, well, I'm not, uh, like, I can't preach like Doug, you know, or like, I can't do whatever. <laughs> I can't grow didn't my wanna, hair. Like didn't want to, <laughs> didn't want to plan ahead for that. That's such a, that's such a practical thing. I can't, uh, this, I can't, uh, what does this guy do? Oh, I can't. I can't wear the vans that he's wearing right now because he's wearing them. Thanks, Ryan. Oh, uh, you're so talented. Do you have anything so else? Ways, do you have anything man. else? Do you want to just so get out in front of man. 600 people you're right great, now? You're a great golfer. I'm not. That. That. You're better at golf than I am. Oh, man. He just, he's, he's bombing. So many things you could say. Bombing trying to compliment me. Hey, I Continue. will say this. We, we tease each other all the time. You guys feel so bad for Ethan. Let me say this. There's not a more confident human being that I know on That's this right. planet. That's right. Do not feel bad for him. Right. Don't clap. Don't we. Clap. I can't preach like Doug, and I can't be confident like Ethan. Is what I meant. Yeah, to that's say. A, yeah. You had that written. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks. Um, no, I, I mean, but insecurity is a real thing. When we teach growth, we try to get you to um, talk about the, the gifts that God has given you. And I've noticed a pattern over the years that when um, we're doing that exercise, people feel bad about saying the thing that they're really good at, right? And we, we got to stop with the false humility. God gave you that gift for a reason because he wanted you to step up and step into it. And so we need to move from a place of being insecure to discovering our purpose and, and stepping into that purpose with confidence. And E, I want you to go next, and I want you to know you're really good at this. Yeah, thing. thanks, man. I'll never forget that. That was just awesome. I just awesome. I panicked. Put man. that on social media. Let's put that out there. Drawing a blank on stage. It's awesome. Um, I would kind of wrap this up, the discover purpose part, and just say I think that what stops us from truly discovering purpose so often is our self-obsession. And it might sound weird because it's like, well, aren't I supposed to take a spiritual gifts test and focus on what I'm good at, and this is kind of about me figuring that out, and that's all important, but there comes a point where you kind of then say, okay, this is like what I'm going to do with my life, and this is how I'm going to reach other people. My purpose is not meant to stay here with me, but we live in this culture that's just self-obsessed and telling you it's all about you, it's all about you, it's all about you. And it's not until you get out of your comfort zone and you see your purpose do something in the life of somebody else that you actually feel fulfilled. I, uh, I spent a couple years as a missions pastor, and I would take people out of their comfort zone into other contexts, other countries, and serve with partners. And I'd have the same conversation with people on every single trip that I, answering the question that I asked the very first time I had one of those experiences that changed my life, why do I feel so fulfilled right now? And I'd say, well, because think about what you did today. You started your day experiencing God. You spent time with him, so your eyes were on him, and then you spent the rest of your day with the family serving somebody else, using your gifts and your passions and your purpose for the sake of another person. And that's why you feel fulfilled, because most of the time in our lives, especially in a culture like ours, it's like, use all your purpose for you and get everything you can for you. But if you're following Jesus and you watch his story, his fulfillment came in pouring himself out for everybody else. And that's, he taught us how to live how to be humans, right? And that then is a a sign to us to say, okay, what does it look like for me when I start to see how God made me? What can I pour out for the sake of the people around me and get my eyes off of myself? Even the way God designed our bodies, the the only thing we can't see is ourselves. Our eyes point outward and look at everybody else. 
You have to invent a mirror. You have to come up with a camera that will flip around to look at yourself. That's just not how we're intended to live, but to say, I know who I am. God made me this way, and I'm going to let that purpose go bless all these other people around me. Come on, man. That's good. Thanks to that guy. Um, yes. Just and I'll take just, that. Yeah, keep I'll just going. go off that into okay. the last one, make a difference, because I feel like if your purpose stops with you, and it never is pouring out for the sake of somebody else, if you never get to experience that addicting feeling of, look at God use my life for somebody else, eventually it grows into indifference and apathy, where you start to just think like, maybe I'm really not here to make a difference. Maybe my life's really not gonna mean anything for somebody else. Maybe I can't contribute to the world. Um, or just you stay in that cycle of thinking this is all about me and you're indifferent or apathetic to everybody else out there and all the things in the world and all the needs that can be met, all the ways that God could use your gifts and the ways that he made you and purposed you for the sake of those people. And it can lead to an enemy, I'd say, of making a difference, which is just apathy or indifference, looking around saying, I can't do it or I'm not going to because it's too scary or I'm too busy with just my thing to worry about the finite time I have here and all these people that I could serve. That's good. I feel like apathy keeps our souls from wanting to make a difference. And the metaphor I'll use is us not wanting to go to the gym or do cardio. Um, and we think, I'll just wait for my sudden burst of energy and then I'll go run and then I'll go to the gym. When really how it works is you go even though you don't want to and it's hard. And then you go again, and slowly but surely, you start to generate this energy. Your body starts to wake up until you, until you begin to actually start to crave it, and it becomes one of the better parts of your day. And you never thought in a million years it would be one of the better parts of your day. I feel like it's the same thing when it comes to making a difference. Um, our souls are apathetic, and what's going to get your soul to start waking up and come alive is simply just engaging in making a difference. And we'll say it this way. At our church, our vision is to make heaven more crowded and earth more whole, and that's essentially just the Great Commission, and that's here how we want to make a difference. We want to be a church. Cut us open. What are we about? Man, we're a church that makes heaven more crowded and makes our city look more like heaven. And that's the Great Commission in Matthew 28, the last thing Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, all the authority on the planet is now mine because I, I was just dead and now I'm not. And so go to the ends of the earth and tell people about Jesus and build this church and, and make heaven more crowded, essentially. And I am telling you, as you engage in that, it will do something for apathy. Like you'll find your soul waking up and I, I just wanna, I think fear, that's my thing. Fear is what's gonna keep you from making a difference. And I'll go first and say, there, there was a moment on a flight last year from Denver to Austin, I sat next to this guy who asked me, what do I do for a living? And I actually didn't tell him the full truth because I've told the truth before and had it gone really bad for me before. Or I've told a guy what we do and then we get we get our ears talked out for like four hours. Yeah, like a flight from Denver that... We were so tired, it was like 11 p.m., and the guy asked, what do you guys do? We're pastors at a church, and that just was like, ding, <laughs> and two hours straight, this guy talked and gave us all of his feelings about church and religion and politics, basically lectured us for two hours while we're just trying to stay awake the whole time looking at each other like, so tired. <laughs> just said that we I love you. worked oh, anywhere yeah. else but a yeah. church. Um, but, I mean, in Austin... In 2022, like let's say next week you're on your way to either the 10 or the 11:30 service. Nice. And you go or the 8:30 if you're going go to establish this year. You go to Summer Moon to get a latte, and the barista says, "Where are you going?" And there's like a there's like a part of you that checks up a little bit in your spirit. Do I give the right answer, or 
I mean, because I've had that go wrong for me before. So fear is what will keep you, honestly, from making a difference. And I just want to tell you, man, you, you know more than you think you do when it comes to the gospel. You, you're, like, and, and where you lack knowledge, the Holy Spirit will still speak through you. But you know more, you are more ready than you think you are to tell people about Jesus and invite people to church. I'm telling you, what if, you, what, if what you need, if you feel apathy or stuck, is not the next Christian book? Um, what if you actually need to try the Great Commission? Because I'm telling you, I'll come to church all the time and be like, I just, I need to feel the Holy Spirit today and raise my hands in worship. And it's like, I think that was the Spirit, I think. And you know what? I, I kid a little bit, but it, it, it was. All I'm saying is, man, you just wait until you are across a cup of coffee from your coworker or your roommate. Your hands are clammy, your heart's racing as you're going, I can't believe I'm about to talk to them about Jesus for the first time or invite them to church. And you will be shocked how much you experience the Holy Spirit in that moment and how awake and alive your soul feels as you realize, man, I'm not just talking about this or reading about this. I am doing this right now. The Great Commission, have you tried it recently? You know more than you think you do because you know your story. And just like the guy who was blind in John chapter seven or eight or nine, one of them, it's one of those three, where he gets healed by Jesus and then an hour later, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are mad at this guy for being healed on the Sabbath. Like, well, how, tell, how did this happen? Explain yourself. And he goes, I, I don't know. I can't explain to you the complexities and intricacies of, of this miracle. All I know is an hour ago, I couldn't see, and now I can, and it's because of Jesus. That's all you need. It's because of Jesus, so come taste and see. Come and experience what he thinks about you, and man, I think you'll be, I mean, let's talk about next week, we got another service, which means 500 empty chairs, which means 500 more people who are your friends and coworkers and family members and roommates can come and experience what God thinks about them. Do not let fear be the thing that keeps you from inviting, keeping you from, from opening your mouth and just sharing what, what has so changed you from the inside out. Fear is real, and we're gonna talk about this next week for our first, it's Attacking Anxiety is our new series we're kicking off next week, a series all about mental health for four or five weeks. I cannot wait, and next week I'm talking all about fear and how it's real, but it has no right to call the shots in your life. And so if you are sick and tired of fear making decisions for you, next week is your week. Do not let fear make decisions for you when it comes to the Great Commission, because there is a difference to be made, and you were made to make it, and you've got it in you, and and let's go, and we've got a Jesus who has called us and given us a church to build, amen? amen. Cool. Amen, so let's, um, let's have a moment, because what we do at this point is we start back at one, and, and we get back to experiencing God, and so, in fact, you guys stand. I want, to, um, I want to pray a prayer of boldness over our church as we end this series and get ready for what's next to come ne uh, next week, and... Um, there's this amazing story in, in Acts chapter 4. Acts is the story of the, the disciples after Jesus' death and resurrection where they take the gospel to the ends of the earth and it tells all of the, the stories um, about everything that they encounter along the way and there's all this persecution that comes, right? So, so people are trying to stop them from doing what they do. In fact, um, in Acts 4, Peter and John, they get arrested and then they are on trial and they're saying things like in Acts 4.20, look, we can't help but speak about these things that we've seen and heard. And finally, they, they let them out of prison and they go back to their home where the rest of their family 
right, where the rest of the body of Christ is gathered, and they're all praying, and they go, guys, guys, here's what's happened, here's what's going on, like, we need to stop right now and start back at one and have an experience with God, and so let's pray, and I love looking at uh, reading what, what they pray, because if it was me, I'd probably be, like, praying for, like, I, I don't know, God, would you take this cup from us, you know, like, God, would you get us out of here? God, would you help these, these threats and these persecutions stop? But instead, they just double down and pray for more boldness. I love it. It's like they, they, they put their foot down and said, hey, this is how we're going to fight our battles. We're going to declare that we're not going anywhere, but we're going to put our foot down on the ground. We're going to put our, our arms in the air, and we're just going to start praying that God would make us bold right in the middle of the craziness. And that's the prayer that I, I, I want to pray over you. So as I do, would you, in, in your mind and in your, your, your heart right now, what is one step of boldness that you feel like God's calling you to take? What is your one step of boldness this week? Maybe for some of you, it's going out there and getting in a group. Maybe for some of you, it's coming to grow next week and getting plugged into the church. Maybe for some of you, it's forgiving somebody. You know that forgiveness takes a lot of courage? It doesn't take courage to stay bitter. It takes courage to forgive. Maybe for, for some of you, it's apologizing to, to somebody. Maybe for some of you, you have a coworker or a friend uh, on your heart that you know you need to text today and, and say, hey, we're starting this, this new series on mental health next week. I'm gonna be there, it'd mean a lot to me if you would just show up, I'll buy you lunch after, just, just, just come hang out. Whatever your step of boldness is today, think about it as we pray this prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in the, the, the midst of a, a, a world that can feel against us sometimes, we may feel like we're surrounded, but the truth is we're actually surrounded by you, that those who are for us are more than those who are against us, and that all of heaven is on the move in the city of Austin. So right now, all across this room, I pray that you would empower us and that you would make us bold. Father God, that we wouldn't walk out of here trying to love people on our own strength or trying to be self-righteous on our own strength, but instead we would come before you and say we need you and, and that the fruit of that would just be your love and your joy and your peace and boldness from above. As we walk into a city that so desperately needs love, Lord, would we carry your love with us, we pray in Jesus' name.